In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'll take the, the not disabled, but uh, compromised a little bit to, to get situated here. So I got a question for you. Can somebody be beyond the ability to be, their life is just such a mess, or maybe they're just such what we would call maybe a bad person, or just, they're just, Maybe we'd say evil or just, you know, done so many rotten things in their lives that, that they're beyond Jesus' ability to forgive sin. That's a good answer. Is someone so dangerous to Christians that they're just beyond saving? That Jesus just can't do anything in their life, that they're beyond hope? No. I agree. But we're going to look at that today. But here are some, some names there could be a long, long list. I just picked out a few names here of people that we might consider are really at their time. These were the most dangerous men in the world. So if we can have the first one up. Do you guys recognize who that is? Nope, that's Lenin. Vladimir Lenin. Real leader of communist Russia. He was actually the founder of the Bolshevik Party. And he took over by killing the Russian king and then because he's worried about the family taking back control, he kills all of the entire king's family. And then, then he goes on this campaign of just killing people. They estimated, it's a big estimate, but 50,000 to 500,000 people that he murdered. He also murdered 14 to 20,000 priests. But this is the worst thing, is that there was a famine in 1921, and he seized the food supply and they estimate that there is a result of that. Five million people died of starvation because of that. He said this. This, this is something that he said. He said, famine would also destroy faith, not only the czar, who that's the former king, but faith in God also. I think we could agree that Lenin was a pretty dangerous person. Okay, the next one. Stalin. This is Joseph Stalin. Again, another communist Russia leader. Estimate that this man is responsible for 50 million people's deaths. He deliberately caused a famine. He ordered just massive and just arbitrary executions of people, sending people to, to prison camps where they died in these camps. Now, the interesting thing about Stalin was that he actually, when he was young, he attended an Eastern Orthodox seminary to be really a, a priest of, of, of the Eastern Orthodox religion. But as a result of that, he actually became an atheist. He imposed a Russian-wide rule of atheism. He shut down churches, destroyed churches, and he's said to have slaughtered tens of thousands of nuns, monks, and priests. Again, I think a pretty dangerous man. Next one, Ho Chi Minh, atheist leader of communist Vietnam, said to be responsible for 1.7 deaths of Cambodians, 2 million Vietnamese, 230,000 Laotians. If you're in Vietnam, Christian, pretty dangerous man. This next one, you'll know this one, Adolf Hitler. 
Nazi dictator. They said that he has killed over estimate 11 million people just through genocide. Six million of those being Jews. These are some of the things that he said. Our epic will certainly see the end of the disease of Christianity. One is either a Christian or a German. You cannot be both. I think we can agree, a pretty dangerous man. About this next image. This next image who we're going to talk about today. This is Paul. This is the depiction of Paul at the stoning of Stephen. We looked at this a few weeks ago. In the early church, Paul really was. To a Christian, he was the most dangerous man in the world. Today, we're going to see what Jesus can do with this man. What, Jesus, what happens to this man. So we're going to be in Acts 9. We're looking at verses 1 through 19. If you want to turn there, we're going to start in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them to, as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Saul, we'll see, is his, that's his real name. Later we'll see his name is, is changed to Paul. So when we read this account of Acts, and if I say Saul and Paul, that's, it's the same person. But reading this, reading just these first few verses, doesn't it sound like Paul might fit that criteria what I said? This is a man to be feared. If you're a Christian, Paul is not a guy you want to run into. So Saul was, really, he was the most dangerous man in the world to, at that time. Saul was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he would be considered a religious leader. Yet, I think we could say that at this time, Saul was an enemy of God. Saul was an enemy of Jesus. Religious leader, but he was an enemy of Jesus. Because Saul is really trying to destroy this entire movement that has started. Perhaps genocide. And that's why I mentioned these dictators earlier. Essentially, all of them were trying to eliminate an entire group of people from existence. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do. He was trying to wipe out this movement, this movement called the way, this movement of these early Christians, this movement of this peace, people that believed in Jesus. I want you to look at Colossians 1.21 with me. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated him from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now, maybe we're not breathing murderous thoughts like Saul did, but that doesn't mean that at one time, or maybe we still are enemies of God, that before we have our experience with Jesus, before we surrender our life to Jesus, we're enemies of God. If you remember a few weeks ago or about a month ago, we looked at Acts 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Now the cornerstone is the one, you build the entire building off of this stone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind but by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way that we can go from an enemy to God to being saved by Jesus. We have to surrender to Jesus. He's our cornerstone. 
the one that many, many have rejected. Saul's rejected Jesus at this point. Many of us have also rejected Jesus. And as a result, if we, remain to, if we continue to reject Jesus, we remain an enemy of God. The question I started today, which all of you guys answered correctly, but it says, let me word it this way. Can we be such an enemy of God that we have no hope and Jesus can no longer provide salvation for me? That's all I said. He was a dangerous man to these early Christians. Probably not much different than these dictators that I mentioned. I bet in his heart he did want to conduct genocide. He wanted to eliminate all of these Christians, eliminate them, just wipe them off the face of the earth. But let's look at verse 3 and see what happens to Saul. And answer that question, is Saul beyond saving? As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice to him, say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The man traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here is Jesus. Jesus is coming to personally meet, to personally speak to the most dangerous man on the planet. Jesus, who is the enemy of Saul, he's coming and meeting him as Saul travels to destroy those that believe in Jesus. Put it this way, I think Jesus is meeting Saul maybe at the pinnacle of his destruction. Now, I've had some friends, I have several friends that, that they've had encounters with Jesus too. Similar meetings like this where, where they were not living a life for God. They, they were rejecting Jesus. And one of them actually was literally on his deathbed. And Jesus met him there. Jesus asking him, really, are you done destroying yourself? Are you done destroying those around you? I'm not going to give you a lot of more details of that, but just let me tell you, he was on a path of self-destruction, and he was leaving a wide, wide path of destruction of those around him. A path that was leading himself and many, many more away from Jesus. An encounter that I think many of us in this room have had. Some of us maybe have had that encounter multiple times. But we, we are enemies of God, and we have Jesus speak to us in the same way. Maybe it's, Jared, Jared, why do you persecute me? But then did you notice Saul's response? He says, who are you, Lord? Saul immediately recognized that this is a voice from heaven. He may not have known or he may have known that this was Jesus when he first heard those words. But we see Jesus identify himself in the next sentence. So either way, Saul knew that this was a voice he needed to listen to. This was a voice from heaven. This was a voice calling him by name. And what we see next is that Saul, after he hears Jesus' voice, after Jesus says, you're persecuting me, he becomes blind. And, and more than that, I think 
that as Saul is trying to, to get up off the ground and he realizes that he, he is, he's blind, I think during this time, Saul is having an encounter with Jesus. Saul is realizing that Jesus, Jesus isn't the enemy. That despite Paul thinking that he's serving God, because remember, he's a religious leader, so he thinks he is serving God by trying to be- eliminate all of these believers of this new way. Those that believed in Jesus, I think he realized that he wasn't. I think he realized that really he was fighting against God. And Saul experienced a life-changing event in his life. He had a personal encounter with Jesus. And as a result, Saul found life. Saul started a relationship with Jesus. As I said, Saul was a religious person. But that didn't mean he had a relationship with Jesus. So we can be a religious person. We can go through all the motions. But that doesn't mean we have a personal relationship with Jesus. Sometimes this relationship starts with an experience like Saul. Other times it's, it's simply just an event, just simply just a, a change in our heart. That it's not a big event. It's not a big hoopla. It's a big hoopla in heaven. But regardless, it's a start of a relationship with Jesus. It's a start of this journey that we're having, this faith journey with Jesus. We're no longer a religious person. We're no longer, like Saul, maybe a religious person that's possibly causing destruction. But now we become a believer in Jesus, who now we have our sins be forgiven, and we now have this relationship with Jesus. Something else I want to say is that a lot of times we, we hear this, well, you've got to say these magic words, or you've got to say this. Saul never said that. There wasn't this magic formula that he said. Text doesn't give us a clear count of exactly the moment or exactly how it happened, but we know that Jesus changed Saul's life. He began his own relationship with Jesus. Saul believed. Saul put his faith in Jesus. Some of us in this room, all of us, some of us, maybe we've said some, some words. We've recited a prayer, and that's fine. Some of us, we just heard Jesus call our name, and we repented, and we responded. The point I want to make is that that's your story. We all have our own experience. When we hear the call of Jesus and we begin this relationship with Jesus, don't think because someone's experience was was maybe grander than mine, that maybe I'm inferior, there's something wrong with me. There isn't. What's important is that you hear the voice of Jesus and you choose to receive forgiveness. You choose to have your sins forgiven and you begin this relationship. This relationship that takes you from an enemy of God to a son or daughter of God. Think of this. The most dangerous man in the world is now a son of God. So we're right. It's not too late for someone to go from an enemy of God to a son or daughter of God to begin this relationship. Jesus came to forgive sins for all of us. You can't escape Jesus. You can't escape that love of Jesus. You can try, but Jesus will keep calling. He'll keep knocking. He'll keep calling your voice. And hopefully at some point, we hear this voice. We accept his voice. And we begin this relationship with Jesus. 
Now this story takes an interesting turn for me. Now we get to see the response of somebody that was actually one that Paul was hunting for. Someone that Saul wanted to throw in jail, possibly put to death. So let's begin in verse 10. We'll finish in verse 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Would you go? If you're Ananias, and you knew who Saul was, you knew that this, was, this man is dangerous. If I'm a Christian and he knows it, would you go? I think what we see here is Ananias is given a, a divine appointment. Jesus is saying, Ananias, no, it's you that I want to go to see Saul. And did you notice that Ananias, as he was giving the directions from God, that it says Saul was praying. I take that to mean that Saul, this is real. Saul's life had changed. Saul wasn't the most dangerous man in the world anymore. Saul also is being given a vision that, that you specifically, Ananias, you're the one that's going to come to him and restore his sight. But Ananias is still doubtful, as probably I would be too. Ananias says, just hold on a minute. Jesus, like, I, I know you're God, and like I, like, I know you do amazing things, but like, are you sure? Like, I think this guy wants to arrest me. Maybe kill me. Do you know how dangerous this man is? Doesn't he have an mission to a mission to exterminate the Christians? And Jesus just answers Ananias by saying, "You know what? This man that you're scared to go to, this is the commission that I have for Saul's life. This is this is where I'm asking this man that you think is so dangerous. This is what he's going to do. First, he says that Saul, this is my chosen instrument. This is my chosen guy now. This." hand-picked guy that's going to take this message of Jesus to the Gentiles. Not just the Jews, to the Gentiles, to the entire world. To all the people, not just the Israelites. And also, there's kings in these Gentiles' worlds. Paul's going to take the, the message of the gospel to these kings. 
Yes, and he's also going to take it to the Israelites. But then he also adds something. He says, however, Saul, Saul will suffer for my name. We're going to talk about that later. We're going to see as we continue in Acts that, that Saul does suffer greatly for his faith in Jesus, for his work that Jesus has for him. But Saul doesn't waver. Saul stays committed to this commission that Jesus has given him. Jesus has chosen the most dangerous man in the world, the most dangerous man in the, in the world to Christians that they're facing is now Jesus' spokesperson. How do you think that's going to be received? Again, we'll look at that. But in our life, how would you receive someone that you, their goal was to destroy you, to destroy the church, destroy every church that taught the message of the gospel. And you're told to receive them with open arms, to go to them. People like those maybe on the list that I began with today. People that are responsible for the persecution and murder of millions and millions of Christians. All of a sudden, that person has an encounter with Jesus. And now this most dangerous person is now a brother in Christ. And you're told to go to them. Now, we write people off for a lot less than that in our lives, don't we? Remember a few weeks ago, I, 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 had a, I have a friend that I brought up that, that called me fat. Like, I struggle with writing him off. Because I don't, I just remove him from my life. Because that's not fun to hear. It's not fun to be around a friend like that, to be a person like that. But I'm still called to love him. And someday, you know what? Even though maybe I think that person is dangerous, God someday might give me instructions like he gave Ananias to go to him. So what if Jesus is asking me to go minister to someone that I think might actually take my life, not just call me names, not just hurt my feelings? Am I that obedient? Are all of us that obedient? Obedient enough that when Jesus says, go to our enemies, that we go. Even though Jesus says, no, this person is now my chosen servant. And I have great things planned for them. Are we obedient enough? Do we have enough belief in Jesus? That, do we have enough trust in Jesus that we would go to a man like Saul? I, that's what Jesus is asking us to do. And I would say the ultimate measure of faith is how we as believers respond to the commands that Jesus gives us that seem illogical. Because this seems illogical to me. But if we believe, if we put our faith in Jesus, we put our trust in Jesus, even when logic doesn't seem to make sense, and we know that this message of Jesus is for everyone, knowing that Jesus can change anybody, that no one's beyond the reach of Jesus, even the most dangerous person in the world is not beyond the ability of Jesus to call his name. And for that person to begin a relationship with Jesus and become a servant of Jesus, become a brother or sister in Christ. And Ananias did trust Jesus and he went to Saul. And did you notice when Ananias met Saul, he, he, did you catch what he called him? He called him brother. Ananias recognized that Saul, he's part of the family now. 
He accepted Saul as a brother in Christ. Ananias obeying Jesus. And we see Saul's vision return. And we see Saul filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see Saul being baptized. We see Saul now publicly saying, you know what, I'm no longer that man anymore. I'm no longer a danger to you. I'm no longer going to persecute you Christians. I'm now your brother. I'm now your brother in Christ. My life now belongs to Jesus, and I follow him. Did Also, Ananias? Who is Ananias? Like, he's nobody. We've been talking the whole time in, this, in Acts. We've been talking about Philip and Peter. You might have thought that Jesus would have sent one of them, right? Or one of the other apostles. Somebody that's famous, maybe. But he sends this unknown person. Just like Jesus chooses us, a bunch of nobodies, for these divine appointments. So we don't need to be anybody special. Throughout history, actually, Jesus probably uses more nobodies for these divine appointments than somebodies. Let me give you some examples. Anybody hear the name of John Staupitz? I didn't either until I looked this up. He was the man that was instrumental in leading Martin Luther to Jesus. John Eglin. Nobody? Nope, me neither. Showed Jesus to Charles Spurgeon. One of the theologians. Edward Kimball. Shoe salesman. He was the spiritual mentor to Dwight Moody. Mordecai Ham. Nobody? He was the evangelist that preached one night and a man named Billy Graham was in attendance. The night Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. Who's the nobody in your life? Have you been that nobody in somebody else's life? Because Jesus gives us all these divine appointments. Sometimes even to someone that might be a danger to us. Now this conversion, this story, this is pivotal to the early church. We see one of the greatest enemies of God to the early church. We now see this man become part of this movement. And over the course of of Saul's life, the message of Jesus is brought to many, many, many to the Gentiles, to many, many countries, to many, many nations, to many, many people. Saul even, Saul writes half of the New Testament that we have in the Bible. So here is a man that for all purposes was the most dangerous man in the world. And we see him now becoming one of the greatest witnesses up to the gospel the world has ever seen. So can we use Saul as an example that even if a man like Saul can change, that Saul's not beyond the reach of Jesus. That Saul can hear that Jesus call his name. That Saul gave his life to the Savior, gave his life to Jesus. That none of us are beyond the reach of Jesus. There's nothing that we've done that is beyond Jesus' forgiveness. Even this most dangerous man in the world, even us, if we hear Jesus call our name and we begin this relationship with Jesus as Saul did. Lord, 
I just thank you for 